You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Today is our final week in this series called The Four Pillars. Week one was the Bible, week two was the gospel, week three was the local church, and today is the topic of missions. Now, before we jump in, uh, I got an apology to make, clarification uh, to clean up. Last week, show of hands, how many people were here last week? Uh, lots of hands. We got on my group, my personal small group story, uh, some of you are already giggling, and I told the story about a new guy that came into the group last week or two weeks ago, and how we decided to kind of make it awkward on him, and uh, we left, you know, we took our shoes off and left the shoes at the door, and so we were just in our socks, and one guy even came in barefoot. Well, apparently, I gave the impression that we were naked, and so I apologize. Uh, my group, as soon as I left, said uh, one in particular over here in this direction, uh, made a comment. He said, Tim, you made it sound like we were just wearing socks, and that was it. And uh, if that's the case, that is going to be a real deterrent to small group ministry, and I apologize, all right? <laughs> so let it be clear, we had our clothes on, and we just took our shoes off to make the new guy feel weird, and peer pressure caused him to take his shoes off, and it's a beautiful thing. All right, on the topic of missions, um, by the way, it's going to be good, because while some of you, many of you are going to bed tonight, uh, the walk is back, and um, I'm excited uh, what's different after the walk is I am usually wired for sound when I get home. And so um, I can't wait, to be honest with you. It's, it's incredible. But today's topic is missions. And more specifically, how much people actually really, 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 really matter to Jesus. Um, early in his ministry, Jesus was doing ministry kind of in the hometown area of Capernaum, Galilee. It's the same place where the disciples grew up. Uh, so the disciples had friends, family, co-workers that were in the area. It's almost like our hometown. If you can imagine, we're with Jesus doing ministry in hometown. And, and Jesus started small, you know, with these, these teachings and these miracles. But hometown, the way it spreads, everything grows. Momentum grows. You know, if ever there was a time it was flatlined, now it's up and to the right. Everything is going so well. The problem is when it's going so well, there, everybody's comfortable, everybody's familiar. And they're at ease. Um, we, we, we saw this last week when we looked at the church. When Jesus would teach, it was different than other teachers. Like other teachers, like myself included, the longer I teach, the less of a crowd. People diminish. But the longer Jesus taught, the crowd grew. I want to read this, Mark 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. So this is the Israel side of the lake. He teaches by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat out in the lake. All the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So crowds everywhere, multitudes, like it's, it's up and to the right. But when you get to the end of this chapter, Mark chapter 4, Jesus makes a statement that leaves his followers speechless. And it's a statement that is, um, it kind of it gets us stuck. Like why would, that, why would that leave them so bothered and speechless? Because today we all know of statements or words that leave us speechless and bothered. Over 15 years ago, I was on a staff retreat. Another way, we had a staff retreat this week. Uh, we, we have to get away strategically at least once, sometimes multiple times a year, depending on the group. But all staff was this week. And just getting focused on the call that God has placed on us, getting on offense. And there was a staff retreat like that about 15, 16 years ago where I had a phone call 
that left me speechless, like it dumbfounded me. Uh, it was in the middle of call, in the middle of a meeting. It was on a Tuesday. Jenny called, and she's like, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm in this meeting." She said, "You have a second. I'm sure." And uh, I walked outside and said, "Just give me a minute." And she said, "I'm pregnant." I said, "Do what?" <laughs> like, like we've been married seven years. Like, like how'd that happen? What, 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 what went on here? And I remember, like, just floored, and I was laying down outside on the sidewalk for 30 minutes sick, you know? Like, it just took me for a spin. Now, many of you have gone through that one before, uh, that news that just caught you off guard. This news that Jesus is about to give these disciples at the end of this chapter, on a boat where they're no longer on the safe side, the Israel side, after he's got all the momentum on the familiar side, the comfortable side, this statement's going to rock their world. Mark 4, verse 35, then that day when evening came, he said to the disciples, let's go over to the other side. Those three words really aren't very significant to us, but to this audience, it was more than just a geographical term. It wasn't like going to the Israel side of the water. Okay, let's go to the other side of the water. It was, but there was much more to it. You see, um, there was the Israel side, and then there was the other side. Everyone in Israel was fully aware of the other side. The other side was called the Decapolis. It's the place where uh, Rome had a foothold. Um, there was a Roman legion there, and this legion was kind of dominant in all the areas, but it's kind of where they, they had their barracks, they had their men, they were lined up. But the other side was also had familiar Old Testament connotations with it because it was an evil side even in the Old Testament days. So it was the Roman Decapolis, but it was also, listen to Joshua 3, verse 10. This is Old Testament. When Israel was about to go into the promised land, uh, this is Joshua. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. And he'll certainly drive out before you. Look here. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. This is the seven nations of Canaan. And the Decapolis side, or the other side, is where the seven nations of Canaan. Everything that wasn't God was on the other side. So you got the Israel side, the Galilee side, and you've got the other side. So much so that it's still pressing in the New Testament. When Luke writes Acts, here's what he says, Acts 13, the God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. So he's reminding them of the Old Testament. With mighty power, he led them out of the country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan. That's the other side. And gave their land to his people as their inheritance. So what Rome referred to as the Decapolis, an area driven by the Roman legion. Uh, Israel knew that that was the other side, the seven nations of Canaan. And so when Jesus makes this statement, let's go to the other side. It's a word that's loaded. It's loaded with meaning. Israel thought the other side was the dark side, the evil side. The side where everything that wasn't godly existed. The side that represented everything that Israel did not want to be. It's a place, Israel kept the rules. The other side didn't, didn't pay attention to the rules. They didn't love God. So Israel would avoid the other side. It is as if Jesus knew there was more to the other side than the disciples knew. It's as if when he says, let's go over to the other side, it's as if Jesus didn't really see it as the other side. You're going to find that out. It's as if the other side was actually Jesus' side, too. It's as if Jesus knew 
all sides were his side. And it is interesting because we see through this story, all people matter to God. Um, this is where get, things get fun. Uh, Jesus tells the disciples, all right, we're going to the other side. They get in the boat. These guys don't want to go. Like they, they like home, comfortable, Israel, Galilee side. They're going to the other side. They get in the boat and they head to the other side, the dark side. Disciples, uncomfortable. Disciples are nervous. Because on the Israel side, there's thousands of people that greet him. Everybody loves him. Everybody knows him. But the other side, guess what? No one there to greet him. Um, they dock the boat. Actually, there's one guy that does greet him. Bible says that he is naked and going crazy. So imagine he's just got socks on, all right? Um, <laughs> running around with no clothes. The chains that he had on were broken. He's cutting himself, the Bible says, with rocks because he's out of his mind. He screams and he spends his time in the cemetery. That's the one guy that greets Jesus and the disciples as they pull up to the other side. If some of us were the disciples, I bet we'd cross our arm and kind of whisper to each other, I told you we shouldn't go to the other side. Mark chapter 5. When this man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high? Son of the most high God, swear to God that you won't torture me. This is, these are the demons speaking up inside of this guy. You, you find out that this man is possessed and these demons thrive on the other side, the dark side. Uh, verse number nine, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Scholars highlight there is so much to learn even in this statement. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. A legion because there's so many demons that are alive in him. And you can't help but wonder if legion because the Roman legion that was on that side and the banner that that Roman legion carried everywhere with, was the head of a boar. And Jesus decides to take hands take everything into his own hands on the Decapolis side, on the other side, and he casts the demons out of this man, brings him sanity, and he sends those demons into pigs, boars, wild boars, and they go off the side of a cliff. Sounds great, and it is great for that guy. The problem was the people on the other side farmed, and they used those unclean animals called pigs, unclean to the Jews. And so the people on the other side are mad. And this is how things get started with Jesus. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and they reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they're afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And they told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And the disciples are feeling the tension, the pressure, the mob. And they're like, I told you we shouldn't have come to the other side. You know, if you use your brain for a little bit, you can't help but wonder. If I was someone that grew up on the other side and I saw what happened to that man, even though it kind of disrupted things, and I had a family member, someone that I loved, a friend, that was fighting something. Maybe it was a sickness, a blindness, or they were terminally ill. And I saw what Jesus did. I, it's hard for me to believe that these people didn't, it didn't even cross their mind to call Jesus to ask him to come and meet with their family. But, but they really weren't familiar with Jesus. They'd just seen this one interaction because they were only familiar with the other side, the dark side. Not the Galilee side, the Israel side. So Jesus is going to use this to give a lesson to the disciples and to us. Mark 5 verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat because he's been forced away, 
They're headed back to the Israel side. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. So on their way back to the Israel side, this man begs him. He's like, look, I want to go with you. You changed everything. While I was on this side, the other side, no one talked to me. I was an outcast. I was labeled. No one one would treat me with kindness. I was like the town joke. People would avoid me. But when I met you, everything changed. So please let me go with you to the to the Israel side, to the Galilee side. And Jesus' response is quite surprising. Verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but he said, go home to your family, your brothers, your sisters, your mom and dad. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And I try to capture that moment as Jesus and the disciples push off from the shore and they begin to paddle and then to raise the sail. And that man who's left all alone feels even more all alone. I mean, craving everything within him to go back with Jesus to the Israel side. He's been changed, and so he wants time with Jesus. Verse 20, so the man went away, and he began to tell in the Decapolis, those seven nations of Canaan on the other side, how much Jesus had done for him. Now stay tuned. It gets fun. Um. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus and the disciples go back to the Israel side, the Galilee side. And what's going to happen is thousands of people are going to greet Jesus and the disciples because of the popularity, because everybody loves him on the Israel side. And sure enough, that's what happened. Thousands greet him. Jesus starts teaching again. And people are getting hungry. We find out in the next text that 5,000 are hungry. And the disciples, since it's their hometown on the Galilee side of the water, the Israel side, uh, the disciples, they see their friends, their co-workers, their family. And everybody knows the disciples are closely associated with Jesus. So the disciples get to talk and they're like, hey, they're hungry. You you go tell Jesus. No, you go tell Jesus. All right. Somebody goes tell Jesus. Jesus, we love your teaching, but you're teaching long. You're losing track of time. People are getting hungry. We don't want you to embarrass you. We don't want you to embarrass us. So can we get them some food? And Jesus like, you guys get them food. You know, kind of stuck. And Jesus said, go collect some food. I'll do something special. So they go out and they collect food. You know the story. They collect the food and Jesus does this miracle that just multiplies the food. But I want you to notice carefully what happens as an end result on the Israel side. When there's leftovers on the Israel side after Jesus' teaching, Mark chapter 6, 42, they all ate and they were satisfied, all 5,000. And the disciples picked up how many? Twelve basketfuls of broken piece of bread and fish. Jesus telling tell them a lesson because you didn't trust me. If you just trust me, you've got to understand this is in my control. So much so that... You didn't have to do anything, and there's still enough left over for the 12 of you. Or perhaps Jesus is even going deeper, and I believe he is, so stay tuned. Jesus is letting them know that this 12 that's left over isn't just for the 12 apostles. It's for Israel. It's to remind them he came for the the Israel side, the the 12 tribes of Judah in the Old Testament, and and it's a reminder that he came through the other side and for the other side, and, and everyone that is close to Jesus in this moment, they look at the 12 and they're like, is it the 12 disciples? Is it 
the nation of Israel. And there's just this sense of awe and excitement. Beautiful miracle. Now, fast forward to Mark chapter 8. Jesus looks at the disciples after this incredible miracle on the Israel side. And he says, hey, guys, let's go back to the other side. And they're nervous. They're like, man, last time we went, one crazy guy. Last time we went, they forced us out. Last time we went, they didn't want anything to do with us. Mark chapter 8, verse 1, during those days, on the other side, another large crowd, large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for how long? Three days. And have had nothing to eat. Uh, why in the world didn't the disciples speak up? On the Israel side, how long did Jesus speak before they spoke up? A day. Their friends, their family were in the room. They were worried about their friends and their family, didn't want to be embarrassed. And a day in, they decided to speak up and say, Jesus, you're going long. These people are hungry. I need you to do something about it. That's the Israel side. But on the other side, the Decapolis side, the seven nations, the dark side, three days go by. The disciples don't say a thing. I don't know if it's disdain. I don't know if it's prejudice. I don't know what it is. The disciples don't say a thing. Jesus has to speak up and says, guys, we need to feed these people. They've been here for three days. And it's almost like Jesus recreates the miracle from Mark chapter 6. He tells the disciples, all right, I need you to go gather, gather the food. And in this story that takes place, it's almost a recreation of the other miracle, except this time instead of 5,000, there's 4,000. So they go and they gather the fish. And oftentimes when we read this story, we think, oh, it's just the same thing, just different place. But hold on tight. After they pass out the fish, and Jesus multiplies the bread. This is on the other side. There's leftovers. Mark chapter 8, verse 8. The people ate and were satisfied after the disciples picked up seven. Seven baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The Israel side, it was 12. Representing the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples. Jesus came through them and for them. Now seven on the other side. Representing... The seven nations of Canaan, the capitalists. Jesus is telling the disciples, I came for the Israel side, but I also came for the Galilee side. And I imagine in that moment, as they're, they're sitting there picking up the leftovers, they're like, not 12, seven. And one of them, it dawns on them, this is the other side, the dark side, those seven tribes of Canaan. This is a reminder for you and me that so many of us are comfortable on our side. We're familiar with our side and borderline embarrassed sometimes of our side. And when you realize that Jesus came not just for our side, but the other side, matter of fact, you don't see a difference between the sides. They're all sides are his side. This is how much people matter. And when you and I go out of our way to set aside the preferences for our side, when we go out of our way to, to go on a trip, to sponsor someone, to take some vacation time and do something incredible with one of these partner agencies that Severe Heights is partnered with on behalf of missions, 
It is a reminder that we know that Jesus came for all sides, even the dark side, the evil side, the side that doesn't have it together like we all have it together. And by the way, in this church, I'm going to tell you who gathers in this room, people from both sides. And people from both sides have to come to an understanding that he died for both sides. That's why when you go out of your way to invite somebody to come to this place, I'm going to tell you what happens. Someone you love, you will stop looking at this place from your own eyes. You will stop looking at this place, listening to this from your own ears. Like you will pay close attention to what is getting talked about up here on behalf of your friend or family member from the other side. You'll pay close attention. Are, are they finding their way around when it comes to their kids? Because they're really not familiar. They're not comfortable because they're not from this side. Uh, parking, music, everything. You start to filter everything through the lens on behalf of the other side because Jesus came for the other side. And it is easy for you and I to forget that Jesus didn't just come for this side. We have to remember the other side. And on behalf of our mission of this church, we must prioritize the other side. I've said this before, but if I misplaced my keys in this room and I'm looking everywhere, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm going to do all I can to look for the keys. If someone in this room said, Tim, don't worry about your keys, you got the car. I'm like, it doesn't matter. The premise behind that story is why Jesus teaches in Luke 15 about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost and prodigal son. He's driven, like he loves the side, but he's driven and compassionate to go after the other side. That's why he drops everything to look for that lost set of keys. Understand that this is the heart of Jesus. So much so that, let me read a reference what Matthew had to say about what happened on the other side. Matthew's writing, and he says it this way, Matthew 15, great crowds came to him, bringing him, this is the other side, guys, the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they laid him at his feet. He healed them. People were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Guys, remember the first time on that side? One guy, crazy guy, greeted him. To which you got to ask the question, what happened? One man who wanted to go back with Jesus where it was comfortable and familiar and safe. But he heard Jesus tell him to stay and to tell his story. And told one friend, told another friend, told a neighbor, told some family. Started some kind of group setting. And before you know it, this one man did something that 12 couldn't. He leveraged his influence to the point where thousands greeted Jesus the next time he came to the other side. Um, on a hillside, Jesus met with a handful of his followers. And he told them something that I hope we hold tight. I'm reading this from a paraphrase. So um, hold on tight. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 begins what's known as the greatest message ever. Jesus says, let me tell you why you're here. Now imagine if you're a follower of Jesus and you hear those words. And I'm pulling out a pen and paper. Some of you are going to pull out your phone and jot down an app. Jot down a note. It's like, okay, he's about to tell us our purpose. He's going to tell us how much people matter to him. Verse 13. 
Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you guys lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? Like, man, if you're safe and familiar and comfortable on your side, you're going to lose your saltiness. And how in the world is it going to spread? You're here to be salt. Otherwise, you'll lose the flavor. You think about what salt was in those days. Salt was a preservative. Nowadays, you find out, like, let's say we get a snowy Sunday around the corner. We use salt on sidewalks and parking lots. And if you come to the Miller house, sweet Elan uses too much salt on all her food. It's like to make things better, right? So I'm going to run with this. You know what Jesus is saying? He's telling the disciples, let me tell you why you're here. Shake the salt. For the other side. Shake it. And if that doesn't make sense, he keeps going. Verse 14, here's another way to put it. If you guys just didn't get that one, here, here we go. You're here to be light. So I'm going to the other side, like your work, across the country, your school, your team. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So now he's saying, shine the light. Think about those two things. Shake the salt and make the other side better. And how about shine the light? And let's make the other side brighter. This is why we do missions at severe heights. It's central to who we are. It doesn't happen on a plane. It doesn't happen on a train. It can happen right here on the campus. It can happen right here at your school. It can happen at your work. It can happen in your neighborhood. So let's shake a little salt. Make the other side better. Man, your light, so shine a little light and make the other side brighter. What he's getting at today is just don't forget the other side. And there's something that grips my heart every time I read those two stories about 12 leftovers versus seven. It's a reminder, it's a gut punch to me. Tim, do not forget the other side, the dark side. The evil side. I want to close with one more thing. And here's how it looks. Jesus kind of shows us firsthand in the verses to follow in Matthew 9. He's like, when you go to the other side, do it this way. Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. So he's doing it at church. He went. And then he goes outside the church, leaves the synagogue, verse 36, when he saw the crowd, so he goes outside, he sees the crowds, and he has compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he tells the disciples after he after he went and saw and had compassion. He says, hey guys, the harvest is plentiful. Look at all these people on the other side. But the workers are few. 
Let's ask, let's pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest field, meaning the other side, because that's us. That's why we do missions. The other side needs, they need us to do exactly what Jesus did. He went, he saw, he had compassion, and he prayed. He's like, so, so when you're trying to do this, do what I did. Now consider those words. He went. That means he connected with them physically. He saw. That means he connected with them visually. He was moved with compassion. That meant he was moved emotionally for what he saw, for the people that he touched. And he prayed. He asked God to send forth people to the other side. So he connected with them spiritually, with the best message of all. That Jesus didn't come for one side. He didn't come for the other side. He came for all sides. And 100 years from today, I'm telling you, if you can let your mind go here, 100 years from today, the only thing that will matter, every person in this room will be alive 100 years from today in one of two places. According to the Bible, heaven or hell. And the message to all sides is that Jesus offers eternal life. Today with heads bowed and eyes closed. God, I want to thank you for a disturbing passage, but at the same time, it's a reminder. Um, if we're honest, so many in this room, we're, we're comfy. And we got our church music, we got our church schools, we got church sport teams, we got church, church, church. God, we're familiar and comfortable with our side. But God, too much familiarity with our side often leads to contentment. Break our heart for what breaks yours. Remind us that all people matter. Remind us that we too, before Jesus, were a part of the other side. And so when it comes to our obedience, may we have the heart of Jesus. And in the weeks to come, as we find out how, I pray that we would be willing to go. You went. You connected physically. You saw, meaning you connected visually. You were moved with compassion. You were moved emotionally. And you prayed that the Lord of the harvest would send forth workers to the other side. And I pray that Severe Heights would do this very thing. I ask God that you would raise up men and women with a, with a heart that, that beats for the other side. God, remind us where we live is full of the other side. Where we work is full of the other side. Just don't let us be consumed with ourselves. And I pray this today in Jesus' name.